Hallelujah. If you would turn your Bibles with me to the book of Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44. Leviticus 11, <clears throat> 44, when you got it, say so. And it says, for I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves and shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth, for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters and of every creature that creeps on the earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean and between the animals that may be eaten and the animals that may not be eaten. Lord, thank you for your word that is inspired, that is true. Thank you for your presence that is here without doubt and thank you, God, for speaking and moving and healing and doing work. Lord, may you continue that in these next few moments as we look into your holy word. May we not look into it alone, but may it look into us. May your word search us. May your word rebuke us. May your word encourage us. May your word correct us and direct us. Above all, may our ears, may our eyes, may our thoughts be attentive to your voice. May we hear what you are saying to your church, and may you be glorified not only in the hearing of your word, but in the doing of it. We pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline and you didn't grab it when you, on your way in, you can raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want you to be able to follow along as we continue on in our series, A Call to Image Bearers. I want to remind you that we are called to be image bearers. We are, we are brought into this earth according to the book of Genesis, and we are image bearers. The scripture says that God said, let us create man in our image and in our likeness. And so by creation, we are image bearers. The sin that enters the world distorts the picture of the image of God that should be upon our lives. And as you know, I, I don't know about you, I know me, right? I, I know myself, I know my own sin. I don't pretend like it doesn't exist. There are moments, right, where I feel very much like an image bearer. I feel like, man, I'm loving people the way that I should. I'm forgiving people as I should. I'm embracing people as I should. I'm participating with people as I should, right? There's moments like that. And then there are other moments that I feel like a jerk. Because I'm not loving, because I'm not gracious, because I'm not kind, because I am not bearing the image of God faithfully. But we're called to be image bearers. And so as we've looked at the book of Leviticus in the last three weeks, and we've looked at God's call to image bearers for us to be holy, we have looked at a few things. If you look at your outline there, chapters 1 through 10, the focus on chapters 1 through 10 have been on atonement, even though we will deal with atonement specifically, I believe, next week. But the, the fact is it dealt with atonement. It dealt with the, the sacrifices that were supposed to be made, the what-tos of worship and sacrifice, how we are to worship God, how we are to approach him, how we are to engage him. And when I say us, I, I, I do mean the children of Israel in sp specific because they are the ones who are being written to in this moment, the children of Israel. Nonetheless, we get instruction by looking at the instruction that was given to them. Just like the words that my wife read today, Jeremiah 29, 11, and 12. Well, we know that Jeremiah 20, 11 is not, is not a direct application to you and I. Are you here? He's speaking to the children of Israel in their bondage. However, those words echo, do they not? They, they echo to us and say, hey, I know the plans I have for you. God reminds us through those words that were spoken to them. He encourages our faith through those words that were spoken, right? And that way our faith is built up in God Almighty. But also, we need instruction. 
We need to be reminded of the holiness of God, which is what the book of Leviticus does. It reminds us of the holiness of God. It reminds us of, of, of the way that we are to approach the Lord, not in our own uh, thoughts, in our own ways, but in his ways. We are to approach him the way that he says to be approached, with reverence, with fear, with trembling, with respect, not half-heartedly. It's not, it's not about the externals. It's really about the heart. It's always been about the heart. The reason why someone offers God pure worship is because they know who God is. The reason we offer him worship at all is because we know who he is. And so we see these instructions. So again, we see the what-tos of worship and sacrifice. And last week we looked at a sobering example of what it looks like when we go our own way. When we start to worship God the way that we want, we experience God's judgment, which is what we are seeing in our world in a great way. It's people who want to worship God how they want to worship him, and they're not seeing the power of God that is transforming their lives. What are we seeing? People that are saying they're worshiping God in one breath, but in the other breath, embracing and living in sin without fear. That's what we see. That's not worship of God. If there's one thing that we've learned when we come to God, we come to him by sacrifice, do we not? We don't approach him. We're going to partake of communion in a moment. And communion reminds us of what? It reminds us the reason why we are able to enter into the presence of God is because of a sacrifice that was made for us. But nonetheless, we shouldn't just be walking around living in sin like everything is okay. Well, because a sacrifice was made, yeah, a sacrifice was made so you and I could live holy. So we could be the image bearers who are responding to the call of God to live as he calls us to live, not as we want to live. Now, if you look at your outline, God gets into the do nots of being holy. We're going to leave the place of how to sacrifice to now how to live. The things that we should not do. There's some things we should do, right? The things we shouldn't eat. Hallelujah. Amen. The things we should eat. The things that are good to eat. The things that we should not touch. The things that we are okay to touch. The way that we're supposed to do it. And again, there, there's a lot here. We're going, to go, we're going to cover chapters 11 through 15. Again, I give you homework. Sit down and read chapters 11 through 15 in this week. Talk to the Lord about this. Look at this stuff and do like me when I was looking like, huh, well, that's, that's crazy right there. Hallelujah. Huh. But then do a little digging. Why does God say these things? Because he loves his people. That's why he says these things. Because he loves his people. That's the reason why he says these things. That's the reason why he communicates these things. I want you to notice something here. God hasn't given his church a list of things that are clean and unclean, but he's revealed enough to us in his word to help us know what pleases him and what grieves him. See, you, you, you know what happens to us, right? Because a lot of us, whether we realize it or not, like we're list people, right? We, 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 we need lists. We need to know like, okay, this is good. This is bad. And there are some things that God shows like this is good, right? He shows you some stuff that is crystal clear this is good and some other stuff crystal clear this is bad. And then we argue about everything in between, right? And, 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 and you've heard it before and I, I repeat it. You, you know, we, we get as close to the edge of sin as we can, right? Like we want to be, you know, you can see my feet, right? Like we want to get there. We're, 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 we're like ready. We're, 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 we're ready. We're, God, we're still holy, right? We haven't fallen off the edge yet, right? Like Nico's like, thank God he hasn't fallen on me. Amen. <laughs> but that's how we do God. Instead of realizing, wait a second, he's holy, I should go nowhere near that edge. I should stay as far away from the edge as possible because he's holy. I should stay as far away from the edge as because he is right. I shouldn't play with God and see how close I can get to that edge of sin and that place of unholy and, or, or, or unclean and clean. No, I should stay as far away from that stuff. 
Because what you don't realize is this. This is the truth. The truth is that the scripture says anything that is not done of faith is sin. So you know what that means? When you're over here, you ain't doing faith. <laughs> you, you're not sure. You're doubting. Is this even good or not? You just, you're just comfortable there. My daughter and I, we had a conversation the other day because there's a new roller coaster at SeaWorld. Hallelujah. Yes, amen. Any roller coaster riders in here? We should all plan to go to SeaWorld. I just think it's a good trip. Let's do it. Amen. <laughs> My daughter will not join us, just so you know. <laughs> because apparently she was scarred from the first roller coaster that she chose. It was not me. I hated the roller coaster she chose, the first one, right, which is Tower of Terror. Anybody love Tower of Terror? You're crazy. You're, 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 you're crazy. I don't want to ride roller coasters with you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I hate the Tower of Terror. That's not a real roller coaster. That's just like a vomit machine. But anyway. <laughs> but her and I were talking about this whole thing, right? We were talking about roller I'm like, baby, we got to go. She's like, nope, not me. I'm like, man, come on. You know why? She don't like this feeling. But me, I love this feeling. Unless, unless you are getting ready to get on Shikra, and they just stop the ride for 30 minutes of maintenance. While you are in line, and I have never been so sweaty and scared to get on a roller coaster. I'm like, man, this could be the end, hello. <laughs> but nonetheless, I typically enjoy this place. But can I tell you something? That's not a good place to enjoy living your life as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, man. Stay away from the edge. Live holy. Live righteous unto the Lord. Here's what I want you to think about this morning. You cannot be holy unto the Lord if your life is not wholly impacted by God's law. And grace. Today I want to talk about holy, holy. Holy, holy. Not like the angels, holy, holy. Holy, holy. Completely holy. Fully holy. Entirely holy. We are supposed to live holy unto the Lord. But we can't do that if our entire life is not being affected by God's law and God's grace. Not just some parts of our life, not just the parts that we're cool with God dealing with. No, no, no. Every area of our life, every part of our life, as we sang in worship this morning, I pray that you pressed in, especially if you know your heart is broken, if you know you're going, if, if there's something going on inside, I hope that you engaged. I hope that you fully and wholly surrendered to the Lord. So he could deal with those broken areas. So he could deal with the stuff that's going on inside of our hearts. That's what God wants to do. He wants to deal with you and I. He wants, to, he, he wants that. And so what does he do for Israel? He gives them a long list of laws. He gives them a long list of laws because what? He wants them to know, I want every area of your life to be affected by my holiness. There is not one area of your life that should not be affected by what, what, whatever it is, no matter what. I'm holy, and while you're dealing with it, I want you to know I'm holy. You have a baby, I want you to know I'm holy. You have sexual intercourse. I want you to know I'm holy. You going out to Carabas? They didn't have Carabas back then. I know y'all just got hungry, glory to God. I still got 24 minutes and 30 seconds, so you got to wait, all right? And you know that doesn't really matter much, but anyway. But when you go out to eat, I want you to know I'm holy. In every single thing you do, in every area of your life, no matter what is going on, when you're walking by the road for them and you see a dead carcass, I want you to remember, I'm holy. If you rub up against something that's dead, I want you to know, I'm holy. If you touch somebody who is unclean, I want you to know, I'm holy. If a sore breaks out on your flesh, I want you to think, not for Neil Sporin, come on now. <laughs> Didn't have that back then. I want you to think, 
I'm holy. Everything about you should, should remind you not of how great you are, but of how great I am. Notice the text of Scripture. It's not about how great Israel is. It is about how holy God is. It is a reminder that I am holy, and if you're going to live for me, you got to live holy unto me. Not just some parts. Remember, when we look at chapter 11, look at chapter 11 real quick, verse 1. It says, and now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, speak to the children of Israel. Again, remember, the book of Leviticus is a book of instruction to the Levites for who? The children of Israel, the people of God, so that they would know every area of their lives is supposed to be holy. Everything they do is supposed to be holy. So the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, everything we do should be, at minimum, an attempt at worship. Everything we do should, at minimum, be an attempt at worship. Everything that we do, no matter what it is, should be an attempt at the worship of the Almighty God. It should be us saying, God, I want to worship you in this. I told you guys, man, I, you know, I, I, I told you jokingly, right, I, and I've said this before, it's been a long time, so I'll say it again, but look. I remember one day I was sitting down in my, in my room, and I was with the Lord, I was reading my Bible, and as I was reading my Bible, I heard on the television, what's up? Y'all know what, what show that is, right? Now, let me just say, say this to you. I wasn't like a Martin fan, right? Like, I, was not, I, I really wasn't. But for some reason, my flesh was drawn to that, what's up? And so I'm in the middle of a passage of Scripture, and I started reading it fast because I didn't want to miss Martin. Not to mention, my mom had just made some white beans, hallelujah, glory to God, and some steak, amen. So I was ready, I was ready, amen. I think the what's up in the... I remember I rushed through that text of scripture, ran out, sat down in front of this big plate, because my mom always served me big plates, glory to God. I sit down, I go to eat. And my stomach goes, I was like, holy. <laughs> like, legitimately, I was like, what just happened? Like, I was starving. And the Lord rebuked me and was like, man, you rushed away from my presence to go watch some garbage. And that, and, and, and that, 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 man, that plate of food was good, too, and I didn't even get to enjoy it. What I felt in my stomach was the conviction of the Holy Spirit that was like, you don't walk away from my presence to do anything else. And what I've said to you before that you may remember now, he's like, I never heard that story before. But what I said to you before was, I used to pray about everything, right? Like, man, can I go get a haircut? Now it's like, God, I got I to gotta shave it, right? <laughs> Easy answer. But back in those days, I would pray about everything because that moment I realized, wait a second. My life is not mine. And I'm not saying you got to go to that place where I was at. You, I'm not telling you that. I'm not at that place. I don't, I don't pray about every single thing. But, man, I do pray about stuff a lot more than I would have if that moment wouldn't have happened. See, because everything we do should be, at minimum, an attempt at worship. Everything I'm doing, everything you do should be an attempt to say, God, I want to worship you. God, I want you to be glorified. God, I want your name to be lifted up. You can write this down if you're taking notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. The apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he says these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. He says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the aim of any true follower of Jesus, is it not? Whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, do all to the glory of God. 
You go back to chapter 8 in the book of, in the book of 1 Corinthians, and you'll see that Paul begins this dissertation on idolatry and not being an idolater. And he walks through this whole thing because he's trying to tell the children of God, the church of God, these Gentiles, God is holy. And everything you do, it's all about him. It's all about his glory. It's all about honoring him. So here's my question for you. Does this describe you? Does this describe you? That everything you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. Let me ask you a real pointed question because I had to ask myself this question, so I'm going to ask you this too. Do your eating habits glorify God? Mine don't. I'm going I'm to repent before you right now. <laughs> Got to ask myself this question, right? Amen. Nico's got it. We all need to follow Nico. Amen. Just make sure that we are, right, that we are, that we are seeking. Man, do I honor God? These two guys, famous preachers, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, old-time preachers, powerful men of God. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon brings D.L. Moody to his conference, says, hey, man, I want you to come and preach at my conference. He comes, he preaches at the conference. And as he's preaching in this conference, he has a, a, a particular portion in his sermon where he is just drilling down, hammering home. You cannot use tobacco. Tobacco is of the devil. And he was just going in on smoking and, and just. Charles Spurgeon was a lover of tobacco. He loved to smoke cigars. And as any good preacher would do, when he got up after he felt like all these shots were taken at him, he got up on the pulpit and he said, Mr. Moody, I'll put my cigar down when you put your fork down. Because Mr. Moody was a heavy man. Come on now. <laughs> See, in my opinion, right, this is, I'll, I'll let you, I think both of them are wrong. And, and, I, and I fall on the side of D.L. Moody, in case you didn't know. Hello. <laughs> I'm not a tobacco guy. I'm not, I, you know, at one point in my life I was, but not, no, no longer. But, but here's the thing. The point is they both should have received a rebuke from the Lord. Instead, what did they do? They just justified themselves. Ah, oh, man, I'm just eating. I'm just having a cigar. Okay. But, do, but, but does your action, does your behavior... These are conscience issues, right? This is not, I'm not trying to tell you. I'm, I'm telling you, listen, you need to be holy unto the Lord, not holy unto me. You need to be holy unto the one who is holy. This is not about, it's, I, I'm not the, sta obviously I'm not the standard, hello. <laughs> Every Monday I commit to honoring God with the way that I eat. just want you to know that. So y'all pray for me, pray for me, amen. Hmm. Three facts, three facts about the dietary laws. What Moses just did here is he goes through in chapter 11, he goes through the dietary laws. He talks about unclean animals, clean animals. He talks about the animals you can eat, the animals you can't eat. He talks about touching stuff that is unclean, and he goes through all of this stuff. He, and so he's dealing with the dietary laws. A couple of things I want to point out to you really quick. I think these will encourage you. Three facts should be noted about the dietary laws. Number one, God gave these laws only to the Jewish nation. Someone say amen to that. So when you're looking at these dietary laws, right, like you're, you have freedom, right? Because when, when you look at Acts chapter 15, right, in Acts chapter 15, there was a list of like four things, right, that you could not do as a New Testament believer. It was like you had to stay away from idolatry, you had to stay away from blood, you had to stay away from things strangled, and you had to stay away from sexual immorality, so the four things that are crystal clear. Those things continue on. The, the two things that are real simple is idolatry and the sexual immorality. Those are two things you can't, you can't argue with. The blood situation, there was life that was in the blood. Genesis chapter 9 points that out to us there. Things that are strangled are going to maintain the blood in them instead of letting the blood drip out. So that's the reason for those things. Again, those were actions that had to do with idolatry, right? You stay away from those things. Beautiful. This is what's beautiful for us. What's beautiful for us is that when we look at this list of dietary laws, I know some of you thought I was going to come in here and talk about your pork. Hallelujah. <laughs> what some of you don't even realize is that the scripture says you can't even eat shrimp. Come on, somebody. Y'all worried about pork. Come on with the shrimp, amen. No more shrimp scampi, y'all. You know what I'm saying? I mean, 
hurting people's feelings right now. They're like, man, Carabas is looking better by the moment. Hallelujah. <laughs> no more red lobster. So here, so, so, so the beauty, number one, well, number one, I got to run through this. I got I to I keep moving. God gave these laws only to the Jewish nation. Although they are only to the Jewish nation, they are for our instruction. Are you here? Again, I said, read it. Look through it. Look up those foods that God says are unclean and say, man, why did he say they're unclean? You may just decide just for your health's sake that you want to stop eating certain things. And can I just tell you something? There's a list of things that you should not be eating today that are not good for you that I am 100% sure God would say, oh, that is unclean. Hmm. All you got to do is look into, like, you know, how things are. Anyway, anyway. Y'all don't want me to talk to you. Y'all are hungry. You're like, Bishop, don't mess up my lunch. <laughs> Number two, obeying them guaranteed ceremonial purity, but didn't automatically make the person holy in character. So you can eat right. That doesn't make you righteous. Ceremonially, you're clean, but that doesn't do anything to your heart, right? The third thing, the laws were temporary and were ended at the cross of Christ. You can write this down, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. Jesus nailed the handwriting of requirement to the cross. Those are encouraging words. Jesus makes it abundantly clear also. He says, it is not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean. It is what comes out of him. <laughs> Y'all like, amen, I can keep eating shrimp and pork, glory to God. You're going to have like a, you're going to have like a, a, a shrimp racked, be, or a shrimp wrapped bednil today. Like somebody, somebody's going to go do that. Bednil is pork, just in case you didn't know. It's, uh, uh, what, what, what part of it is? The shoulder, it's the, it's the pork shoulder. Someone's going to go get some shrimp, put it on a bednil, and put it in the oven, and just invite me over, amen? I'm, amen, amen. Let's get a big one, I, I'm just saying. I, I, I'll bring the arroz con gandules. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recruit someone to make them, hallelujah, because I won't. If I bring them, you're going to be disappointed. As the people of God, Israel had three motives, and this is the text that we read, 44 to 47, three motives to live holy. The first one is in verse 44. Look at verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourself, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. What is the first motivation that they had that we should have? God is holy. Outside of anything else that God says, he is holy. That's the reason why we should be holy. Why? We're image bearers. The second thing is in verse 45. Verse 45. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. The second motivation that Israel had was this, that God redeemed them to himself. Is that not our same motivation? Did God not deliver us from the spiritual Egypt that we were in, the bondage, the land of bondage and sin? God liberated us from that, not to just set us free so we could live our best life, but to set us free so we could live for his glory. It can be one and the same, I believe, but nonetheless, it's not about you. It's not about you being happy and all of this kind of stuff. That's the problem with us. Is that we automatically think when we come to Jesus that, oh, you know, everything, I'm going to be happy. When I'm not happy, that can't be the Lord. Tell that to the Ukrainian Christians right now. If they were hearing that message, they're tight right now. But you know what? Over there, they probably weren't hearing that message. They are probably rebuking that message because that's not the truth. Because the truth is that you can be a Christian and be very unhappy at moments. You can be a Christian and not be all giggles and smiles all the time. I'm accused of that all the time. Not smiling enough. Too serious. Sorry. <laughs> hmm. The 
third thing, the third thing, verse 46 to verse 47, look what he says here. He says, this is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters and of every creature that creeps on the earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean and between the animals that may be eaten and the animals that may not be eaten. The third motivation was that God wants his people to be different. He wanted his people to stand out in this area of diet. He wanted them to stand out. He wanted them to look different than the other nations around them. Where there were some things there, oh, no, that's unclean, I can't eat that. Not because I'm better than you, but because my God has called me to separate myself from that. Again, a reminder, we have to be holy because he's holy in every area of our lives. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, either sin will consume us, or sanctification will conform us. Either sin will consume us, or sanctification will conform us. And so as you look forward, and you don't have to do this right now, again, on your own time, you'll notice chapter 11 deals with the foods that are permitted and not permitted. It deals with the unclean animals and the clean animals. Chapter 12 deals with the rituals after childbirth. Again, in childbirth, you should be holy unto the Lord. And then in chapter 13, he starts talking about this thing called leprosy. This topic of leprosy comes up in the conversation. Chapter 14 deals with the ritual of cleansing the person who is the leper. And chapter 15 that we won't cover, it deals with the laws concerning bodily discharges. So again, God wants us to understand that he is holy in everything, right? But, the, but what I want to spend the next few moments focusing on is chap, what's in chapter 13. And we're not going to read chapter 13 and, and, and what's in chapter 14 because I want you to see these two things here. Number one, I want I want you to realize this. Leprosy, what, what it was, if you don't know, it's a skin disease, right? It was a skin disease, but it was also considered a defilement. In other words, you were ceremonially unclean if you had leprosy. You had to get out of the city. You had to declare yourself unclean. It was one of the worst things to have because immediately, the moment that you had leprosy, you're calling yourself unclean, unclean. Guess what other people are going to start doing? You know what little kids do. Unclean, unclean. Ooh, he's got cooties. Yeah. You know how kids are, right? <laughs> Anytime we cough in the house, Josiah's like, I don't want the virus. You know, it's like, you know, that, that, that's, it's, it, right? You, you hear someone cough, someone sneeze, all of a sudden, they could definitely not have just got dust up their nose. Never that. Right? They have to have the, anyway, anyway, I, I digress. Okay. Immediately, they were outcast. If you had leprosy, it was a terrible thing, treated as unclean. And so what happens in chapter 13 and chapter 14, what, what we see here is we can see a treatment of leprosy as a picture of sin, and you can also see in chapter 14 an illustration of what Christ has done to, done to cleanse sinners. So I, I want you to, we're going to spiritualize this for a moment. Because leprosy, just a physical ailment, something that had to be dealt with, something that, was, that, that defiled you, made you unclean, something that could be passed on to others, like there was issues there, so they wanted to be sure that that didn't happen. But what we see when we compare this to sin is a couple of things. You can write this down if you're taking notes. I have like five points here as far as the way that we see leprosy. The first thing is that leprosy was more than skin deep, so is sin. Sin is, sin issues are more than skin deep. It's more than just the outside of our skin. We need to teach this in our culture today. We need to address this in our culture today because some people think, well, if you got a certain pigmentation, then you are this. You are racist. You're that. You're a criminal. Sin is much deeper than skin color. And church, can I encourage you? You need to be on the forefront of that conversation when it comes up. Don't allow people to spew garbage and lies around, especially to you. I'm not telling you walk up to everyone. You know, I, you know, so I told you about a conversation someone had. They were sitting down. They were eating together. And someone overheard their conversation, also known as being nosy and decided that they were going to walk up on the conversation and inject themselves into a conversation that had nothing to do with them. That is not what I'm telling you to do, my Christian friends. 
But what I am tell you, telling you is that when someone brings that garbage to a conversation that you are part of, do not be a coward. Do not cower in the face of lies because that is what it is. It is lies that are coming from the pit of hell that are, that, that are listen, they're accomplishing the task of dividing the church. That's what they're doing. They're accomplishing the task of making us look at each other a certain way simply because of what? Because of skin. Same thing with leprosy. Come on now. You had something going on with your skin. You're not the right skin color. Listen. We need to address those lies. We can't let those lies continue to fester up. We need to denounce them. We need to call people out who we love, in love. You don't got to yell at them like I just was intense. Those are lies from the pit of hell. Come on now. You don't got to do that. Messing people up, you know, like, what, what's wrong with this person, man? They're going crazy on me right now. He's a straight jacket. You might, you might go to jail, you know, something like that. They feel threatened, you know. Hmm. Leprosy was more than skin deep. Sin issues are more than skin deep. Sin isn't solely what we see. It's deeper. When someone, when, when someone acts a certain way, it's not just their behavior. Why do they act that way? What is going on inside of their heart? What is happening inside of them? It must be dealt with at the root level. We've got, we, we, we've got to address the sin in our lives, in our midst. We've got to be sure that we deal with it. The second thing, sin spreads. Like leprosy, once defiled, it will spread and take over. That's the reason why they had to go away. Because if they were around others, it could spread to them. So they had to stay away. It begins, when you think about sin, it begins with a thought, then follows a desire, then an act, then the terrible results. You can see that in James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15, in case, again, you don't believe what I'm saying. But here's what I want to tell you. We cannot pacify sin. We cannot medicate sin. We cannot counsel sin. We must eradicate sin. Are you here? We live in a culture and in a day that we want to pacify sin. We want to make people feel comfortable. No, you should feel uncomfortable in your sin, especially if you call yourself a Christian. You should not feel comfortable lying. You should not feel comfortable cheating. You should not feel comfortable fornicating. You should not feel comfortable lusting. You should not feel comfortable acting out in anger. You should not feel comfortable in unforgiveness. You should feel terrible. You should feel the weight of your sin when you're walking in it. You should not be okay. No, you should feel that. I'm talking to Christians. I'm not talking to unbelievers. Unbelievers don't know God. We expect, we want unbelievers to look holier than some of us. Hello. But when we're dealing with sin in our lives, listen, church, we cannot pacify sin. We cannot justify it. Well, because Nico did this, I'm going to do that. No, 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 that's the devil. It doesn't matter what Nico does. It doesn't matter what I do. You have a responsibility to be holy unto the Lord. We've got to confess sin. That, that we, have to, we, we cannot medicate it. We want, to, we want to try to medicate sin. My goodness, there's a lot to get into here. i got 51 seconds. <laughs> but the bottom line is, we listen, when I say you cannot counsel sin, you can counsel someone who is in sin to get out of sin. You're not going to change their heart. So how do we eradicate sin? The way we eradicate sin is we address it the way that it is supposed to be addressed. We confess our sin. We recognize it as sin. We turn away from our sin, and we live free from sin. The way you eradicate, you, 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 you recognize this is sin. The way I'm thinking is sin. The way I'm feeling is sin. The way I'm acting is sin. There's no justification for that. I recognize it as sin, and then I confess it as sin. If I've sinned against someone, then I need to confess it to them. Hey, man, I sinned against you. If I sinned against the Lord and I haven't sinned against anyone, then I need to confess it before the Lord. I need to turn away from it. I can't continue in it. I have to live free from it. The third thing, sin defiles. Sin defiles, and so leprosy defiled. Not only does sin spread, but it also makes us unclean in mind and will, emotions, body, all become unclean. Unrepented sin has the potential of defiling a whole house or a whole church. Did you hear me? Unrepentant sin, that's why Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of sin, a little bit of playing around with sin. Oh, no, 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 we can't play like that. 
let, let, let me repeat this. I've said this before. It's not just the pastor's responsibility to address sin in the congregation. You, you call yourself a Christian? You are supposed to be your brother's keeper or your sister's keeper. And you should love them enough, but more than that, you should love God enough to be willing to sit down with that brother or sister and say, hey, man, you cannot continue to live in sin. You have to turn from that sin. Questionable behavior, question the behavior. Don't just leave it unquestioned. I don't really know them. Well, you better get to know them. That's, that, that, that's how we keep our hands clean of that stuff, right? I don't really know them. Okay. You call them a brother or sister in Christ, you see something that's questionable, get to know them. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Sin isolates. So what I say, sin issues are more than skin deep. Sin spreads. Sin defiles. Sin isolates. One of the telltale signs someone is living in sin is an unwillingness to congregate, especially in a more intimate context or a smaller context. One of my favorite, favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 18, verse 1. The man who isolates himself, he rages against all wise counsel. We're, we, listen, we're not supposed to isolate ourselves. You know, us guys, we want to isolate ourselves often. Right? Brothers, we need each other. I, I'm, I'm grateful for the, for the gentlemen that make it to Saturday morning, that come out and sit down. And we, you know, we don't, we don't break bread. We, we do donuts. I'm pretty sure that's an unclean food. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm forcing all the men to sin. I'm so sorry. But nonetheless, we sit down. We, we, we have some coffee. We have some. But you know what? We do break the bread of life, God's word. And we engage with one another. We talk with one another. We share. We pour, we, I mean, we lay our hearts out there. That's what's supposed to happen. We are supposed to be open. And, and, and we, we're supposed to be engaged with one another. But you know what sin does? Sin separates us. Because when you offend me, I don't want to be around you because I may want to do something to you that, you know, not godly. Listen, man, I, I am, I, you know, I, I come from a certain background. And my, and my natural, you know, response is not like, let's have a conversation. I'm just being, I'm just keeping it 100 with you, right? Like, I don't, I don't walk on water. But I pray. I'm like, man, but I can't. I got to have a conversation. Amen. That's the way we deal with situations. We don't just yoke someone up and be like, bro, what's wrong with you? Right? Like, that's not the way we do. But we have to be able to be willing to come into the, the, these relationships. When we isolate ourselves, we rage against all wise counsel. And you know what we do? We become, we become wise in our own opinion. Because we sound so good to ourselves. We convince ourselves of things. Sin destines things for fire. You look at the, the situations that were there with the things that were touched by the person who was leprous, the clothing, those things had to be burned. When sin is in our lives, you listen, sin, is, sin destines you for fire. It's either going to be the fire of trials and hardship that God is going to try to purify you, or if you are unrepentant, it is going to be hellfire. That's what sin does. See, here's the thing. People may laugh at sin. People may excuse sin. Or try to explain it away, but here's the thing. God takes sin seriously. God doesn't play with sin. The seriousness of sin is seen most clearly at the cross. That's where we see the seriousness of sin, which brings us to our third point. Say this with me. Say, we cannot deny the extent to which Jesus went to save sinners. We cannot deny the extent to which Jesus went to save sinners. The priests of the old covenant are, are, are shadows of Jesus, our high priest. And so when we look at what the priests did under the old covenant, we see that they were doing something that was us being able to look forward to how is it that God is going to address sin? How is he going to deal with it? And so this particular leprosy, God gives us an example. In order for the leper to be declared clean, right, chapter 14, again, when you go back and do your homework, hopefully all of this will make sense to you more clearly as you look at this in its context. But as the leper, the, 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 for the leper to be declared clean, certain things have, had to happen. Certain actions had to be carried out by the priest and the leper. 
There were certain things that had to occur. So the first thing is this, and you see this in verse 3 again. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The priest goes to the leper. Notice this. The leper doesn't come to the priest. The priest goes to the leper. Let me ask you a question. Who came after who? Did you come after Jesus or did he come after you? I know some of you may be mistaken and you think that you were just all that. You woke up one day and you were like, well, I, I need to come to Jesus. I need to come to church. I remember having a conversation with someone I was sharing with, you know, for a long time and, and, and trying to win them back to the Lord and, and trying to love them and all that. And I remember there came a day where they were ready to receive the Lord and they called me on the phone on a Saturday night and they were like, hey, you know, I'm going to go to church tomorrow and I'm going to come to the altar because I want to give my life to the Lord. And I was like, okay. So today I would have said, why don't we do that right now? And I'm pretty sure I said that at that moment, but they wanted to make it public or something like that. They had their reasons behind that. But can I tell you something? It would look to us like he was running to the altar, like he was running to Jesus. But I want you to know Jesus was pursuing him for a long time. Jesus was running after him for a long time. He was using me. He was using other people. He was, he was using a lot of circumstances to do what? To grab that per- to run after them and let them know. So you know what? Who was going to who? Oh, you may have turned one day. Absolutely. You may have made a decision one day. One amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> but you weren't the initiator. I hate to bust that bubble. Second thing that we see, verses 4 through 7, the priest offers the sacrifices. The priest offers the sacrifice. Again, I think these things might be up here. This ceremony is a beautiful picture of the work of Christ. The priest took one of the birds and placed it in an earthen vessel, a clay jar, and then he killed it. And then what would happen is he would dip the feet of the other bird in it, and that bird would go free. Symbolic of what? That freedom. But what we have here, of course, the birds were not created to live in jars, but to fly in the heavens. Christ willingly left heaven and took upon himself a body, put himself, uh, 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 put, put himself as it were, in an earthen vessel that he might die for us. You see the beautiful picture of what Jesus did? He, 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 he put himself in that position to die for us. The next one, verses 8 through 9, the leper washes and waits. See, you saw the work of the priest, two things. He goes after him, and the priest makes the sacrifice. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Now the leper does something. The leper washes and waits. We sang about waiting on the Lord, but this is a little bit different. The priest had already, already pronounced him clean. So the leprosy is gone. They've already done that. So he was accepted as far as the Lord was concerned. But now he had to make himself ritually acceptable. This washing is a picture of the believer cleansing himself from, filth, from filthiness of the flesh and spirit. This is what happens to us in our present day. We are cleansing ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by our power or our strength. Then we see the leper offers a sacrifice in verses 10 through 13. He's now back in the camp at the door of the tabernacle. He offered a trespass offering, a sin offering, and a burnt offering. All of these offerings have to do with what? Atonement. The sin offering took care of his defilement. The burnt offering represented his renewed dedication to God. Why the trespass offering? And this is why. Because while he had been defiled, the man had not been able to serve God as he should, and he owed God a great debt. And so again, it is our recognition, man, he paid our debt. We're never trying to earn something from God. And if you live your life like that, then you are not understanding the power of grace. That Jesus did it all for you. That Jesus died for every one of your sins. That he rose again. But we come to God cleansing ourselves in humble submission before the Lord, recognizing that he is God, that he is holy, and that when we're out of fellowship because we are in sin, then guess what, man? We need to come back and humble our heart and be like, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for living in a defiled way. Forgive me for living with that thing going on in my life that shouldn't be going on in my life. The last thing is, is the work of the priest. I love this. Verses 14 through 20. The priest applies the blood and the oil. And I want you to notice what happens to the leper is the same thing that happened to the priest that we looked at when they were going through their moment of cleansing. If you read it, you'll know this. But the priest took the blood and applied it to the right ear, the right thumb, and the right great toe of the man. 
symbolizing that his whole body had now been purchased and belonged to God. Here's the thing. He was to listen to God's word. Remember the anointing, the oil, the blood applied to the ear. He's supposed to listen to God's word. He's supposed to work for for God's glory. See, his hands are hands. Your hands are symbolic of your work. And he is to walk in God's ways. So he's anointed, now he's accepted back into fellowship by the priest. He should be listening to God's word. He should be working for God's glory. He should be walking in God's ways. That's how we should be living. Looking at these symbolisms and comparisons, we see the shadow of the new covenant Jesus would make for us. As we recognize Jesus in these symbols, our gratitude should grow and our desire to please the Lord should deepen within us. What's the vision of our church? To please the Lord in everything that we do. That is the vision of our church, to please God in everything, not just some things, in everything that we do. When we look at these symbols, it shouldn't just be like, oh, I'm just taking notes and I'm learning more about the Old Testament. Man, you should be falling in love with Jesus more. You should be overwhelmed by the sacrifice that Jesus made, knowing that you are unworthy that you do not deserve his mercy, that you could not save yourself if you wanted to, and yet he went to all the extent that he did in order to redeem you. And he says to you, be holy as I am holy. So here's my closing question for you. In what area of your life do you need to grow in holiness? In what area of your life do you need to grow in holiness? Again, I said this earlier, God didn't give us a list of clean and unclean things as New Testament believers, but he showed us enough about himself so we would know what it is that pleases the Lord and what it is that grieves him. So what is it? I just want one because I know, you know, we all got plenty. Some of you are thinking about the pork and the shrimp. (laughs) Maybe that's a thing for you. I don't know. But where is it that you need to confess before the Lord today and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for my lack of holiness in this area. Maybe it's your marriage. I don't know. Maybe it's in in, in the area of entertainment. Maybe it's in the area of parenting. Maybe it's in the way that you deal with finances. I don't know. Maybe it's the way that you are as an employee or as an employer. Maybe it's the way you deal with brothers and sisters in the Lord. I don't, listen, I don't know. All I know is this, is that God calls us to be holy as he is holy. And I am assured that every person in this room and every person watching online has a place, at least one. I'm sure you probably got like five. Because I know I have plenty as well. Where I need to become holy before the Lord. And listen, if you say, I, I say this, looking, everybody looking at me, no heads bowed. If you say, God, I've heard you talk to me today. And I want to live holy as you call me to live holy in whatever area that is. And I want to surrender that thing to you today. If that's you today, don't stand up if it's not you. But if it's you today, I want you to stand where you are so I can pray with you. And I will pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for every person that is standing in this moment. I thank you for every heart that is humbled before you in this moment. Lord God, we come before you as a collective congregation who respond to your call to be holy as you are holy, God. Lord, we know that we in and of ourselves are not holy. We know that we can never be holy enough to appease you, God. And so, Lord, we surrender our hearts to you right now. Lord, you see every area. You see every commitment. You know exactly what is going on in our hearts. God, but we declare to you in this moment, God, we want to be holy. We want to reflect you, God. We want to honor you, God. We don't want to reflect the world in the way that we live. We want to, we want to reflect you in the way we live. And so, God, may you, may you be glorified in us. Purify us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Everyone said, amen. amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand of praise. He's worthy.